Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled, When You Feel Like You're Trying More Than Your Spouse, originally produced and published by Tony Overbay of the Virtual Couch Podcast. Before we launch into today's episode, we wanted to remind you of Dr. Finlayson Fife's Christmas sale, currently taking place on her website. Dr. Finlayson Fife's exceptional online courses are currently 20% off, plus additional discounts when you buy more than one course. Visit our website at finlayson-fife.com to learn more. Welcome, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. I think the first time that we recorded, I made Fortnite jokes, and I think how funny that is. Does your son still play out of curiosity? Uh, actually, not really. He's kind of changed. He's sort of sworn it off for a bit. So it's uh, what do you do now? Out of moderation. Well, what do they do now? I mean, mostly schoolwork. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah. So, I mean, he still does some of it, but he's he's been much more like I just need to. He plays RuneScape sometimes. I, I know that one. I've heard of that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. So, so, do you mainly do you just see couples out of curiosity? Do you do individuals? No, as well? I do both. I do both, okay. but. Couples is sort of my primary um, modality, um, uh-huh. but I do definitely have people that come to me individually, but okay. I find couples work to be harder, but in a lot of ways more effective because you're getting not just the person's self-deluded view of themselves, right? <laughs> but you know, you get to see the person through another lens as well and yeah. see how the system is working and how people are kind of constructing a self within a larger relational story. So, okay. See, yes. look at this. is uh, It's brilliant, though, because you gave such an amazing answer. And I was I was setting up a bit. I mean, I was going to say, do you do uh, did you ever work with teenagers when you were going through the ranks? Sometimes I did. Um, I did. You know, I worked at a family counseling center for um, a year mm-hmm. when I was in my training. And then I did quite a bit of college counseling. So I kind of work with things. Um, OK. With, um, kind of young adults and things like that. But generally speaking, now I really don't do that kind of work. I, okay. Every once in a while, I'll work with a teenager if I've been working with the parents and I know yeah. the family system and I feel like I can efficiently kind of give some help to them in how to think about what's going on. But okay. I, yeah, but I'm mostly- I just, and when you talk about RuneScape, I think about, I mean, I know far too much about games I never would have cared about from working with teenagers. And one time I made a joke about how much money I've made off of hearing stories about D&D, so, you know. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Dunge- uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yeah, that's a good, of course. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I would hear all about the, their characters and I would try to work that into therapy. And at times it was like, nope, that's just their orc or their goblin. That's kind of what it was. Yeah. Yeah. You know? no, I know a therapist who works, he even sometimes will play games with kids, you know. Okay. He's really an adolescent boy therapist and you know, <laughs> really uses that modality, actually. I don't, yeah. I don't know how effectively because I don't know his work that well, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I had this, I feel like I sent, I've got two things. I almost feel like there's two separate, a part A and a part B of today's episode. And, uh-huh. and so I really feel bad because I have this expert. You're my two highest downloads ever. And you're the first person that's been on the virtual couch three times. So right. thank you. Yeah. Thank I think I'll send got a hat to send you or something. So I, I feel like I need to lay out. And I, the reason I'm setting it up that way is I feel like I already owe you an apology for the two minutes. <clears throat> excuse me. I'm going to ramble. Just set up the thing that I really desperately want your all your opinions on. Is that OK? Sure, of course. Please. OK. All right. So this is where I think I was sharing a little bit off off camera, off mic, whatever they say these days. But when we last met, you were in Portugal and I think you had shared something that you for a brief moment 
said, oh, I think I had shared that with you. And it was with this Preston Pugmire fellow. And so then I look him up because I'm thinking, all right, well, if Who's Jennifer the guy talks to them. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and then and then Preston and I end up talking. We connect at some point and we've created this marriage course, which is ironic, that will launch in January. And so I think I was saying that I don't know if you deserve some credit or some sort of a you know, exactly. a, a royal day, right? Exactly. But, but so then while we were doing that, so I've taken every bit of, I love emotionally focused therapy, EFT. And I do that with couples and I see, I don't know, 10 or 15 couples a week. And I never liked doing couples therapy until I had that modality. And then it makes so much sense. And, and so we were, we're basing this program off of the EFT model, but then we're also, since it's a course or a program, we threw a couple of things in there just to have things that say, here's how different we are in our relationships. So we threw in uh, a personality test or two. We threw in a attachment styles quiz. And so I start noticing that some patterns that built up. And one was that there were, when we were doing love languages, and this is why I loved the Facebook live video you did where I I didn't do a lot with love languages for a long time because, you know, it's maybe not, it's not, there's not a lot of evidence-based data around it, but it's very popular and, and I don't know what's your, but people really liked it. It's very accessible. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so then people would bring that into to sessions and I, and I would say, okay, that's great, but I didn't necessarily hang my hat on the love languages, but we yeah. do the love language quiz and then we do attachment styles quiz. And we're coming up with primarily people that are anxious attachment and uh, avoidant attachment. And I quickly identified myself as anxious attachment, where if I walk in the room and my wife's not jumping up and down, I say, Hey, uh, are we okay? And she says, Yeah. And then if she's 10 minutes later, still not jumping up and down, I say, did I do anything? And I recognize that's the, my anxious attachment style. And, and I'm noticing that a lot of the guys that come into couples counseling have that similar anxious attachment style. And then I noticed that the more that we're doing the field work with the love languages, that a lot of times partnered with the anxious attachment style is the uh, words of affirmation and physical touch as maybe these top two love languages. And then I'm noticing a lot, and I don't all or nothing, Jennifer, I promise, but I, I was noticing, I want to say every time I see that, that uh, then the opposite is they're in a relationship with someone who tends to be more avoidant attachment and uh, arm's length. And then their love languages tend to be the quality time or acts of service. So I've got that data. And then my favorite word from a year or two ago is psychological reactance. So that instant negative reaction of being told what to do. So all of a sudden, I feel like that comes into the middle. And so the more that somebody with anxious attachment says, you need to, I've made it easy. You need to have more sex with me and tell me I'm awesome. And then that the more someone's telling someone that, the more their brain is pushing back saying, I don't have to do any of that. Yeah. And so then I feel like this reactance is building this polarity in these attachment styles. And, and, and then just a quick side note, when I was sharing this with my wife, I was saying, okay, so she may present a bit more of that avoidant attachment. But then we quickly acknowledge that she has an anxious attachment style with my teenage kids. Right. Good. So, right. Okay. So then I, so then it's like, Ooh, this is on me. So then my, my anxious attachment even says, I I do anything here. And that kind of creeps back in. And so then I felt like, and this is the part where the more I was talking about it with Preston and we're putting this course together and we were just, just kind of noting some data. It was almost the more that the guy, the guy, and I'm going to gender stereotype here because that's primarily what I was seeing the guy with the anxious attachment words of affirmation, physical touch would then Mm -hmm. go over and try to do more of the acts of service quality time and Mm -hmm. then feel like that will get him his, uh, right. right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah uh-huh. But then, but then it started to feel like, and then I started asking a lot of questions of clients that were in my office. Cause I was starting to feel like I had confirmation bias, like crazy where I'm seeing this with every couple that I'm working with uh-huh. that then that, that, that it was almost like the avoidant attachment female in this scenario is uh, uh-huh. the more they're almost feeling like, well, I think we're pretty good because I'm, he's spending more time with me. And uh, so the quality time and, and we are doing more things together. And so I really feel like we're good, except for these times where then he gets a little bit clingy or needy. And mm-hmm. so I just started thinking about, man, that's really difficult. Then in this course, then it's, it's fairly easy to say to the anxious attachment, when you have to check yourself to say, are we good? That's my anxious attachment style. The next time I feel that I need to go pet the dog or play catch with the kids or do some pushups. And so then when I'm talking to the avoidant attachment, then what does that look like for them to quote, do work? Is it the lean in a little more? lean into the relationship, be a little more vulnerable. But then I, as the more I'm asking clients in that situation, and I promise I'm almost done, that that's the part where then I'm hearing more of, I hear you. But first of all, I feel like things are okay right now. And then part B, if I start to lean in more, then I, I worry that he will then not be as attentive, or I worry that it won't be enough that then all of a sudden, if I find I'll, I'll have more, you know, be more intimate with them, that then it will be okay, well, that's not enough. And there's more and more. And, and anyway, or so I, consumed, or I'll get consumed by this person too. Totally. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. and, and so there's a part of me that just want to say, you know, Hey, can you fix all that for me, Jennifer? Cause, uh, you sure. know, that, okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> but tell me, first of all, does that resonate or what oh, yeah, are your sure. initial thoughts? Okay. Well, yes. A few initial thoughts. One is, you know, in my, in the relationship course that I do, I talk about this in a slightly different way from attachment theory, although um, it is an expression of a way of attaching, you know, because human beings attach, that's a normal part of human experience. Um, I talk about it as walled off versus, um, why can't I, oh, boundaryless. I'm like, why can't I remember my own language? Yeah, so boundaryless or pursuing versus distancing. So pursuing, distancing, or boundaryless versus walled. The thing is, is that, like you said, with your wife, these aren't so much personality profiles, although Mm. it's true some people may favor or tend to in their intimate relationships typically play out one version of this or the other. But but what I think is a kind of truer statement is that these are both versions of immaturity. Okay, I like that. So these are both versions of challenge of being able to self-regulate And in particular, self-regulate when you're in relationship with someone that matters a lot to you. Okay. And so one of the things that, you know, I talk about a lot is then that when we're born, when we're young, we have a a validation dependency. Mm. We have to kind of borrow a sense of who we are from the people around us because we can't psychologically self-sustain as human beings, right? So our physical autonomy is much faster than our psychological autonomy, developmentally speaking. The way that this avoidant dependent, no, what is it? Yeah, yeah, avoidant, uh, anxious. Sorry, I'm just not familiar with that language, right? No, that's okay. Attachment styles is those are both expressions of dependency on Mm. another person to manage your sense of self. Now, the the anxious attachment, well, that's very obvious. You know, the boundaryless attachment, that's obvious. They're, you're out trying to get other people 
to, to, val- sure to validate you or tell you're you okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the kind of overtly needy position. Yeah. Uh, it, it, at least how I talk about it in my course, it, it can also be a, a kind of control. Mm. Like I'm trying to get you to tell me I'm okay. Do the things that make me feel normal. Want the things that I want, yeah. you know, help me feel like I'm sufficient. And so that's overtly dependent, but the walled off position or the avoidant is also dependent because that person has a hard time regulating their sense of self when they're bumped up against another person's wants and desires. Mm. So they have to get away from others to manage their sense of self, which is also a needy position. Yeah. Because what does that look like in a relationship? Yeah. Right. So if you can't handle your sense of self, yeah. When you can feel what your partner wants or you can feel their neediness or you can feel their dysregulation. And so you're always trying to kind of get away. That yeah. means you haven't yet learned how to stabilize yourself when you're with the other person. And if you really want an intimate relationship, you have to grow. Both people in this scenario have to grow in their ability to self-regulate. Yeah. If they're going to be able to be with each other without using each other to manage their sense of self. I because love that. And so, oh, yeah. keep going. Yeah, I was just going to say that pursuer distance or dynamic is a balanced system of two people who are dependent on each other for validation. Yeah, which is beautiful. And, and first of all, I, I'd even written this down in this Facebook Live that I was, I was watching that you did. And I love you said intimacy is about knowing each other, not, not just demanding validation. And marriage is going to challenge that issue every time. Because I, yeah. I really do feel like the goal is just... Uh, you know, to be heard, the goal is awareness. It's not a, a solution per se. So then I like what you're saying. So an anxious attachment, it, it can, and I kind of said it lightheartedly, but it can go uh, pet the dog or write the great American mm-hmm. novel or that sort of thing. What is that? What does that avoidant attachment look like for them to yeah. show up and be present? And Yeah, yeah. So just to name uh, the way I think about the, what you just said about the void, I mean, the anxious, and I'll go to the avoidant right after, <clears> but yeah, the petting the dog, the it's, it's exactly, it's about, I'm not going to go and make this person make me feel okay. I have my own responsibility to self-regulate, to calm myself Mm. down, to find my own value within myself. It can feel very lonely, very disorganizing. It can Mm. feel like if I don't go and get that reassurance, I'm going to die. I mean, it really can feel like that for people. Like I need to know, I got to do the things I know how to do to kind of assure myself that on some level I matter to this person, even if the validation I get back is just some validation of control that I can yeah. get her to reassure me, even though she's annoyed. Okay. Or mm-hmm. have sex with me, even though she's not that into it, that that yeah. can be a typical thing to do to go, just get that sense of that. You're still have some control in this, even though what you get back is kind of cheap. It's not choice based and it feels yucky sometimes in a certain way. So that's, you're right. So that's what the avoidant person has to do is learn how well, to self-regulate. Yeah. Well, let me say real quick, because I love that what you just said there is I feel like I do run into people that say, but if that's, if that's my only option, I'll take it. And, and, you know, and I know that's not what they want because that creates this uh, cycle of, well, then now that is the only way if I show up this way, that's the way I'll get that attention. And that is not, I think it goes back to when you're on the second time where it was talking about high desire, low desire, and are they creating a, a are they being desirable? Right. And if you're like, if that's all I can get, I'll take it. I mean, that is a message of self-disrespect to your partner, mm. that okay. I'll take crumbs, you know, mm. that, that I, I'm so unclear that I'm worthy of really being chosen and valued that I will take your pity. 
That is, that's a measure of kind of how you see yourself. And I, and I so agree. And can I, and this is why I was so excited to have you on to just talk through this. And I was hoping that it wouldn't necessarily be, that it wouldn't be bad that I wasn't asking you just, you know, question after question, but I want your thoughts on, I, I hear you. And sometimes I even say, I know the, I'll just call it the textbook answer that that is absolutely right. And when I'm working with guys, I'll often say, I want to help you raise, you know, I call it your emotional baseline to the point where either sometimes that might be the person your wife says, that's my guy. And if not, that you're there, you're that guy. And, and life is more fulfilling and satisfying. And, and this comes a lot from, you know, I still deal with a, a ton of people that are trying to um, uh, not turn to por- pornography for a coping mechanism. Yep. So they're trying to fill these voids and they're killing it in their work and in their health yeah. and in their relation, all that stuff. So I feel like that we can say that is the way to do it. And, and I feel like guys almost, well, no, they do. They hear that and say, okay, so if I'm that guy, I will get more sex then. Right. And, and I feel like, okay, are we still then missing the, the mark or the point or if that is well, the goal? Sort of, sort of, and sort of not. Yes. Okay. Like I, I see people do this all the time. Well, yeah. if I see it in the nice way, then I'll get my husband to feel good about me. And I'm like, well, not necessarily because right. you don't have control over that. But yeah. I do think the, you know, something that uh, Dr. David Schnarch always would say is, you know, the more you need validation from others, the less likely you are to get it. And then of course yeah. the inverse is true that the people that don't need it so much are more likely to get it. And like, yeah. so an example that I give in one of my classes is uh, once when, I don't know, this might be too long a story if you want to edit it no. out. No, oh, quick, let's go. I'm excited. Uh, but you know, I, uh, I said to my husband one night, you know, I'd really love to have sex tonight. He said, great. And, um, and so we get into bed, I'm working and my brother calls me, me we're just both kind of working in bed mm-hmm. and my brother calls and his wife's out of town. And so he starts having a long conversation because my brother's bored <laughs> about, you know, technical stuff that they both are interested in. And my brother in my husband's defense is very hard to get off the phone. Really genuinely. I'd love him to death. Hard to get off the phone. <laughs> so this part of the story is that, you know, I keep waiting and waiting and I say to my husband, you know, how much longer? It's like just a few minutes, a few minutes. And I'm just getting yeah. put off and put off and put off. And I didn't want to stay up all night. And he also wasn't really doing what, and I knew he was interested in what he was talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I have time to sit there and kind of work with myself because the way I'm, I'm feeling rejected. Okay. And so the way I'm handling it in my head is going into all of these, what I call losing strategies to kind of put my sense of self back together. Right. Like, you know, he's so lucky that he has a wife that wants to have sex and he still is like, (laughs) so I'm doing all these things to prop myself up to feel good about myself. I'm getting angry at him internally because he's talking on the phone as a way to push him down and say, what's the matter with you? With him, yeah. You want to talk about computer systems and not be with me. And so I'm doing all these things as a way to manage my weak sense of self in that moment. The self that's trying to fend off the insult that I'm not, it's not being reciprocated in kind in the way that I want right then. Yeah. And so... Thankfully, because he keeps talking, I have time to kind of self-soothe and I'm calming Mm. myself down and saying, don't do all those mean things. First of all, he has the right to make his choice. He has a right to want to talk to my brother. Uh, He has a right to be stupid. (laughs) 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 He has the right to choose the thing he wants to choose. 
And, yeah. uh, and I don't want to be such a child. I would like to grow myself up a bit. Mm. So just make a decision. So at one point I stopped him and I just said, I can only wait five more minutes, but otherwise I think I'm going to go sleep in the guest room because I want to, I want to go to bed. Okay. So he's like, I'll be off, I'll be off. He doesn't do it. So finally the five minute part comes and you know, I'm managing myself that wants to be mean, that wants to be snarky. And I say, you know, I'm really disappointed. I really wanted to be with you tonight, but I'm going to go sleep in the guest room just so that I can get a good night's sleep. And in part for me to feel in control of my life. I mean, like a certain amount, like I'm going to assert my choice. Yeah. So when I went into the guest room, I just worked on, I mean, my part, part of me was going into victim, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't feel loved. I feel alone. I feel and all that's just kind of coming over me and wanting to guilt him into, you know, getting up, which isn't happening. And so I just was like, just calm myself down. And so the more I calm myself down, which is like, I know that I matter. I know that my husband loves me and he has a right to make his choices and I'm disappointed and I am still okay. Now that sounds so easy to say that, but I had to really work with myself to stay in a self-soothing position, not try to go manage him in some way. Sure. And I yeah. know all the tricks. I know how to guilt him. I know how to get him to do things. Yeah, we all know, right? So, and I didn't let myself do it. And so I fell asleep. And, and so the next morning, the thing is, it's really interesting because I think my husband could feel that I was more self-regulated, right? Okay. That I wasn't mad, that there wasn't rage coming out of the guest room. <laughs> yeah. And, and so what's interesting is he just came in the next morning and he just said, that was so dumb of me. I'm sorry. And I just said, Let, well, let's just try again tonight. And all was good. Now, the okay. thing, the point in me saying all this is that because I self-regulated and I self-controlled rather than husband controlled, yeah. you know, he, if I had been mad, he would have done one of two things. He would have just left and gotten away from the anger mm-hmm. or he would have coddled me. Yeah. Both would make me feel terrible. Okay. Right? Like he's just trying to get away from me. Yeah. Or he's taking care of me because I'm being such a child inside. Okay. Yeah. And while I may feel some sense of control if he coddles me, I don't feel good about me or him. It's kind of spineless of him and it's childish of me. And it makes us both worse. Hmm. Because I self-regulated, he was free to come in and just say, that was dumb. Like, you know, and like, and, and offer his kindness and his warmth and his affection. And just for us to say, well, let's just try again. And yeah. It'll be so nice when my husband, my brother's wife comes back. <laughs> okay. No, and I, I so love that yeah. story. I do. Yeah. And, and there, man, I, and this is where I will say, okay, we can edit this next part out if we would like, because I really want to ask a question that, and maybe it's the male therapist in me that works a lot with people that are struggling with um, you know, uh, uh, pornography addiction or, or those sort of things where, um, but I know that when you just said there that you said to your husband that night that you wanted to be intimate, you wanted to have sex with him, yeah. that I know that I work with a lot of, of men who say, man, I, I don't ever hear that, you know, and, yeah. and that they feel like that, that, and that's why I love where you went with that story where you talked about at the end, where there are times where people will, then they will kind of, uh, pout or guilt, their way into having sex. And then I feel like that just creates that kind of dynamic where then they feel that is the way they get that. And they, so then they try this, no, I'm going to self-regulate. I'm going to be the man. I'm going to go, you know, take care of the kids. I'm going to, I'm going to mindfulness. I'm going to work. I'm going to, 
And then it's almost as if it doesn't bring their wife quote around quickly. It's almost like they go right back to this. Okay. Well, well, that works. I'm going to pout. Right. So that's a different chat. I mean, like, I don't want to suggest that that's a story about Mm -hmm. self-regulation. And if I had gone into my strategies, that would bred the kind of thing that would make me feel even worse. Okay. But if I also knew as I was self-regulating that I had a husband that loved me, mm-hmm. that I had a husband that chose me. I had a husband that sometimes disappoints me. That's true. Mm-hmm. I had a husband yeah. that sometimes doesn't do or want the things that make me, that, that are what I want, right? Yeah. So those things are all true. But I did not, I was not trying to make sense of it in a context of feeling that I have a husband who doesn't choose me, who doesn't value me, who doesn't want a sexual relationship with me. That's a harder thing to settle down around, right? Yeah. And I'm yeah. not trying to suggest that uh, that um, if you do what I do, it'll all work out for you. Yeah. Because I think if you are in a marriage where there's a chronic lack of desire, you are up against a bigger challenge, which is figuring out why. Mm-hmm. Right? And what do I have to do with that? And I do concur with that. If you go and take the sex that you get after you pouted and punished the person enough, yeah. you are you don't really want to be chosen. You just mm-hmm. want to have sex. Okay. <laughs> and you are, yeah. you are telegraphing that meaning yeah. that you are willing to take crumbs. Um, and yeah. so that makes it easier for the lower desire person to not um, feel chosen. They feel like this is for me to prop this person up because he'll yeah. take crumbs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it's, but it's not, it's what I'm trying to say is regulating yourself isn't so much about it's a guarantee the person will come towards you. It's about you getting stronger and having more self-respect and you're going to need it, especially if you're going to take on the issue of a sexless marriage. Okay. And I, I, yeah, I appreciate you staring because I, because I, again, I feel like this is where I know that is the right answer because I know the opposite does not lead someone to feeling fulfilled or, um, you know, and it kind of affects other areas of their life, which then maybe is where they turn to other things for, for coping or that sort of thing. But, but I do feel like that, uh, people get into a pattern over the, and it's years, right. Where people can get into this kind of a pattern where, um, and then exactly. they, they change the dynamic for a little while and feel like, well, that's not working. And, exactly. uh, and they don't yeah. really recognize they really have to unearth a pattern and it's not, it's only, they only control half of that pattern. Now, mm-hmm. if you're dancing a dance and you dance it over and over and over and over and over again, like this pursuer distancer dynamic that you're talking mm-hmm. about, is a dance that people know well. And the person that's in pursuit is much more complicit in it than they will often recognize. Mm. They married okay. somebody who was more distanced, right? Mm. You know, like my husband is more of the avoidant style. And yeah. so, I, you know, and so I, but I dated guys that were the more pursuing energy. And I was yeah. like, you're great, but that's yeah. not my reciprocal yeah. style. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, so that that's to say that people know how to dance those dances very comfortably and very well. And so when you start to break the pattern, what I was doing in that story is I starting to break pattern in that in a way that I would typically not want to break pattern. Right. Yes. And yes. So breaking pattern then allows for a different choice, but it doesn't guarantee a different choice. It just means you're not going to dance the old dance because you're not doing your dance steps. That part you have control over. Plus, you're getting more able to handle whatever you need to handle. 
That's what I love. So you're right. Yeah. So I was more prepared for a husband who actually was coming and choosing me and because I was self-regulated, I could receive it and see it as good judgment that he was wanting to be with me the next time. But also if you're in a sexless marriage and you need to address that, you need your wits about you. You need your strength Mm -hmm. about you. You can't be giving all of your value away to your partner because that's exactly what's keeping you in this pattern over and over again. Yeah. So just to, we can come back to the sexless marriage thing if you want to, but just to go to your earlier question about yeah, the no, it's good, good, yeah, good way to go back to now the avoidance yeah. attachment, right? Okay, exactly. So the avoidant person wants to be in connection, but they don't want to have high exposure. They don't mm-hmm. want to have. Um, they want to be wanted, but they don't want to want. Generally speaking, okay. Right. So they like yeah. to feel needed. They like to feel wanted but they don't want to feel dependent, even though there is a dependency, because if you need to be needed, that is needy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning if you need to have somebody else be in pursuit or you need to have somebody else be seeking you out, that is a function of your weakness, not your strength. Mm. Which it, it plays into even more of that polarity between the dynamic because the anxious attachment is constantly, or I feel like constantly saying, um, I, I don't know if I'm doing enough or I don't know if I'm missing any cues or if I'm missing any signs. And, but then if they push and push, they get that, that, uh, that, that push back. But, right. I, but are, are you kind of saying though, that at the core, the avoidant attachment still has that same need, that desire for intimacy. They just want to not have to put themselves out there. Yeah. Well, exactly. They want to be in, otherwise they wouldn't have gotten married. I mean, yeah. they want yeah. to be in connection or like I work with clients where, um, you know, the pursuing husband gives up for real. Like he says, mm-hmm. okay, I'll take no for an answer. And then the avoidant one is like, wait, what? What do you mean? Mm-hmm. I don't want, you know, and so they're like, meaning they want to be wanted, but they don't want to stick their neck out and want, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's definitely what I was doing when I was dating my husband was I was on the avoidant side. So talk about, okay. you know, it's not you're one or the yeah. other, right? And yeah. so- I wanted him to want me. I wanted him to be in pursuit of me, but I didn't want to really validate that back. But then when I remember once saying, you know, you really should date other women. I'm not prepared to do this. And then I happened to show up at an an event with another guy and he was with someone else, which was exactly what I had said to do. I was on another date and I was flipping out inside. I I want you to just keep wanting me while I go date other people. So yeah, that's fair. Right. Very mature. Yes. So no, that's it. So then what do you, yeah. What do you tell them that avoidant person as far as in, right. I'm I'm in therapy, helping them to see the weakness in it, the neediness in it, the wife whose husband starts to give up and she gets super panicked and was like, well, apparently you don't want sex off the table. Then you keep saying you'd be happy if you never had to have it again, but apparently you want to not have sex perhaps, but you don't want him to not want you sexually. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, I want the validation of your desire, but I don't want the exposure of stepping towards you. So I help people see the weakness in that, that Mm -hmm. it's, you know, that it's not kind, it's not fair. Um, you know, one person who comes to mind, I was asking her to think about if her son were to marry someone like her. And mm-hmm. she was like, oh, you know, she's a victim. And she's always pretending like, you know, but then she puts up a wall and she could see how how mean and immature it was. Right. In a way. Yeah. yeah. 
So then it's like, well, if you want to be stronger, then you need to tolerate stepping towards your partner, unless you want to say you don't want this marriage, okay? If you don't want the marriage, fine. If you don't want a sexual relationship, then own it, right? I'm not here to tell you you have to have it. But then take responsibility for your choice, rather than always keeping that person in pursuit, which reassures you, but stabilizes an immaturity in you. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It drives them absolutely crazy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you don't have to want, you don't have to have a sexual relationship, but own it if not. And if you do want one, then step in and take responsibility like somebody who wants to create a sexual relationship that works for her or him, depending on whoever's in that position. Take step towards, you want to learn how to belong to yourself and let another person matter to you. Mm. So, you know, yeah. So that's what I'm, I'm helping them see the, the weakness in it and the dependency in it. Mm-hmm. And the hurtfulness in it, because that often then pressures them within themselves to step in and take more responsibility and stop. You know, they, they, they say they hate the neediness on the other side, but they're constantly co-creating that neediness. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do, do you feel like when you can get them to start moving toward that in that direction, is it hard for that needy person to not just overwhelm them? Is that difficult? No, actually, what tends to happen is the needy person gets overwhelmed themselves. Because okay. they think they want a partner that's going to meet them halfway, mm-hmm. but they've actually preferred to look at their partner's back than their front. That is, to say, they they okay. prefer the kind of pursuit, right? To yeah. Actual intimacy. Wow. Okay, yeah, that's boy. Yeah. We could do a whole episode on that because I, mean, I feel like yeah. I, I mean, do you run into people that uh, it's the it's the old yeah? Once they um, get what they're looking for, then it isn't as oh yeah okay. Oh, totally. Because I've had people who are like, oh, you know, too little, too late. And it's like, wait, what? Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, the person's finally doing what they've been wanting and saying they want and really self-confronting and really stepping in. And then they just are like, you know, I'm just wondering if this is ever going to work. You know, and it, their own lack of development mm-hmm. and their own fear of intimacy is all up for them to see. Because if they hadn't had a fear of intimacy, they wouldn't have married somebody that was avoidant. They would have found somebody that could really step in and know them and choose them. I find that a lot of times in that scenario too, the person, they've been so used to that narrative that if that narrative's gone, then all of a sudden they have to kind of own up to some of their own insecurities or their own, I mean, really, right? Right. And and it's it's been a lot easier to blame blame my spouse the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. That's what people do in marriage so easily. Yeah. Blame the limitations of their partner and otherwise they would just be an amazing partner if it weren't for their (laughs) spouse. And, you know, and that's just a way of not having to deal with who you are and the way you are part of your marital challenges. And so, so yeah, when those are more exposed, people are often shocked at at their own, at themselves. (laughs) Okay. Can I, uh, can I do a fun fact? And then maybe we, because that man, time is flying. And then we get to that section B, would that be okay? Okay. Fun fact is I like how you were saying that in your, you know, that you dated guys that were that, they were the ones that were the anxious attachment. And you were kind of like, whoa, at, at the beginning. Do you ever yeah. have people that say the if I only was in a relationship with my friend's spouse who always wants to have sex, then that's all we would ever do. And and I've heard many times that people are always going to settle into that pursuer withdrawal relationship. Is that true? Well, well, it's true if you're immature. I mean, I, uh, I would not, what I would say is that I certainly think my relationship kind of started out in that way with my husband. You know, when we were dating, I was definitely in the, in, he was in pursuit and I was more in withdrawal or, or like, what's uh-huh. the word? 
avoidant. Uh, avoid, and yeah. then I thankfully was, you know, we dated for three years. I was 26 when we started dating. I was just, I had a very good therapist. It really helped me grow up a lot. And so when we got married there, it was really choose, choose. I mean, it was genuinely, cause I even stepped in to choose. And then he was like, I need to kind of step back a bit and make sure this is what I want. I mean, he wasn't being okay. manipulative. It was a little bit yeah. like I've been pursuing you for a while and I need to just kind of settle into the fact that you're saying yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but once we got married, it really was choose, choose. Now, I mean, in our relationship, there have definitely been times when we're playing out different sides of that. When I say my husband's a boy, meaning I'm more emotional. I'm more, uh-huh. I'm the more the one who will be passionate about things. He's a little more even keel and, you know, scientist type mind and so on. Okay, yeah. Uh, but, but but those those dynamics can sort of play out. But I think the more we mature, the more mm. it really just feels like cho- choose, choose and no, no. You know, like we know each other and we know how each other works. And so I think that those are always there probably on some level. But I think that's really a function of development. And the more immature, the more extreme those dynamics feel and the more they operate in extreme. Okay. No, I love that answer. Okay. Part B, I thought this was really fun because I got an email and it's from somebody that said, I recently listened to a Jennifer Finlayson five podcast replay in which she talked about fixing your relationship with a partnership mindset. Uh, She said, I'm quite certain I have a narcissistic spouse, covert, not super bad, but bad enough. And I'm wondering how to accomplish what she was talking about with that element thrown in. And then she said, then today I was listening to your podcast, me and me about, uh, and I had the idea that maybe um, she could team up, you, you could team up and do an episode to tell people how to do what she was talking about when a narcissist is involved. And then she talked about, um, and I'm only saying this not to praise me, but to say this is, how, this is how complex it gets. She said, I'd like to thank me for helping her realize what narcissism is. She struggled with her marital relationship for years listening to the podcast has helped because things she didn't know were happening, gaslighting. And then she tells a story about um, she never realized that that was a thing. And she always just yep. felt crazy. So how do you, and, and I was just on, and I know I listened to your appearances on the Betrayed, Addicted, and the Expert podcast. And I love when you've been on there. I was just on there talking about um, narcissism because uh, doing a lot of couples therapy and how things present differently. So how, what, how do you handle that, Jennifer? Do you run into that a lot? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if somebody has like a narcissistic, narcissistic personality disorder, I mean, good luck. It's, yeah, right. It, right. You know, that's really somebody that's um, not going to self-confront. Um, but narcissistic tendencies well yeah. let me just start by saying we all have those you know yes. yeah <laughs> We're born with such a deep self-reference that on some level that's part of what development is is challenging your own narrowness and your own self um delusions right about who you are and marriage is excellent for that for kind of waking you up to who you really are and what your limitations are and how you can grow but what i think this questioner is really pointing to and i think it's an important point is that if she's saying you helped wake her up to gaslighting and she thinks Mm. her husband has these strong narcissistic tendencies what she's saying is she's operating with somebody who doesn't self-confront yeah and that's very hard to work with especially on your own if you're vulnerable to being mind twisted meaning if you're vulnerable especially if you're a more sensitive woman i don't know if she is or not but if you're somebody Mm. who's very attuned to a lot of times people that marry narcissistic yes. types are much more attuned to how other people feel about them. They're more self-doubting often. And so when they get married and to somebody who 
who crushes them, makes them feel small, twists reality to kind of keep that more sensitive or self-doubting partner on her heels, the kind of development you have to do to have any chance of the marriage meaningfully evolve is almost, almost, it's almost impossible without some serious help. And the help that you need is a marriage therapist that, or coach that can help to name and call out and confront the behavior of the narcissistic person. Mm. And the therapist has to be skilled enough that they know how to offer what's true to that person without blowing them out of the room. Yeah. And it helps the more um, self-doubting person to kind of see what's real. But it really is dependent upon whether or not that narcissistic person has enough courage to start dealing more honestly about who they are, mm-hmm. where they learn to function like this, which, you know, almost always they learned it at home, right? When yeah. And to be able to see who they are and to change it. And, you know, I've worked with a lot of people who've turned it around and it's meaning they have been willing to start seeing who they are, start naming it, being more honest, being more forthright, self-confronting in front of their spouse. Right. And, um, and so it, it can happen, but it takes, the courage to say what's true without being aggressive. Yeah. But most importantly, it takes somebody who wants to get out of the trap of their narcissism enough to start dealing with the narcissistic blow that seeing who they are is going to deliver to them. Absolutely. And I have to say, just because I know people are going to listen to this that maybe don't even normally listen to me. And and I have a, uh, I do a lot with this and I always say that, I, you'll Google something about narcissism and it'll just say run, but I know that it's not that easy. And I know that people want to, to figure things out and they have kids and financial obligations and long-term, you know, covenants and all kinds of things. And, and so I always say that, you know, I, I try to help people uh, raise their emotional baseline, get the self-care so they're in a good spot. And I say, get your PhD in gaslighting so that you do realize, okay, I'm not, I'm not crazy and set boundaries and disengage from unproductive conversations. And and then, uh, and then recognize that there really isn't anything that you'll say or do that will cause that absolute aha moment or epiphany where that person will miraculously change and do a 180. And I feel like when people get that in place, that then that is when they're in a the best spot to either see that, wow, this isn't a really healthy relationship if, I, if I'm not able to open up or in doing those things, setting those boundaries and that sort of thing, is that when the person may recognize their, you know, their partner might recognize their their role in uh, how they've been showing up or, or yeah. that sort of thing. So, you know, and I know it's not just that easy. It takes a lot of time and there's it trauma bonds. Time, but, you know, for the person, exactly. For the person on the more, you know, the person that gets manipulated or whatever. Yes. It's like yeah. recognizing what the, excuse me, what the more narcissistic partner is in fact doing and being able to see it, but really importantly, developing the capacity, the deeper capacity to self-regulate yeah. Even with a mind twisting partner who matters to you. Okay. And that, that is heavy lifting. I mean, it is, but, it is. It, but it's so important because if you're going to extract yourself from that marriage or be in it in a more healthy way, meaning stand up to that behavior and challenge mm-hmm. it, you need to develop that muscle. And so a lot of people that will marry the narcissistic person where they're weak is that they self doubt and they're looking yeah. for other people. They're in the anxious attachment position. They're looking for yeah. other people to tell them 
that they're okay. And, um, and so that is their vulnerability. So, you know, you know, couples I've worked with where you really, even the guy is self-confronting, but the wife is often, you know, still trying to get her sense of self through the guy. And she, for her own sake, for the sake of the marriage, for the sake of intimacy, even being possible, has to learn how to hold on to her own dignity and sense of self. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absent of the husband's validation, even if he's improving dramatically. And so yeah. that's often the focus gets so much on the narcissist and sometimes not enough on what is the psychological and emotional self-regulation tool that the, that the partner of the narcissist needs to learn. Yeah. But I love what you're saying though, because it's here, I'm turning to that person. If you look at the EFT phrases of, are you there for me? Can I count on you? Do you have my back? And, uh, and it's the person you're opening up and being vulnerable to, to say, am I okay? Is the person that's doing the gaslighting in which that can be, I mean, I feel like that's a form of of betrayal trauma of of its own, you know, that, that that kind of, uh, that kind of lingo. That's right. And so that's why you, yeah, you can't, you, the kind of approach that I do is not about getting your sustenance from the other person, Mm -hmm. getting it within your own ability to map what's real and what's true. It's getting it out of your own strength. Um, and that not out of another person, especially another weak person. You know, I was yeah. just working with a couple where he's made a lot of progress, but when he's in his worst self, he's kind of propping himself up and insulting her. And so mm-hmm. her regressive mind sort of pushes him up, but he's just a big baby in that moment. That's not even the right way yeah. to say it. He's acting like a petulant, a petulant child, right? Yeah. And yet he puts him up and that's immature or regressive in her mind that he goes up when he goes into this, you know, cruel, petulant behavior. Lots of people, they can't see through it. They call that manhood or masculinity rather than childish. Mm. And so you have to see it for what it is as a way of regulating your own mind. Don't make a child judge your sense of self because they're going to judge it poorly. You have to unhook from that mind if you're going to have a sane and healthy mind. I love that because I, uh, I heard it put one time that it was basically all kids are self-centered and they move to self-confident, you know, when they have the right attachment, they have the right support system. So, you know, oftentimes thinking of narcissists as people that went from self-centered to self-centered. So it's basically, it's then, you know, that's why I can feel like a 10 year old boy, you know, and, right. uh, and no, they can, yeah. Yeah. Narcissists yeah. is a failure to grow up. And yes, it's like you're still stuck. It's a five-year-old in a 50-year-old body or whatever. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. So thank you for tackling that question because I feel like that you handled that beautifully. When you run into that, what do you, I mean, do you, do you ever pull uh, the partner aside? Do you ever um, say, hey, here's what I think that we might be looking at? Or what, what do you do in those situations? No, I say it to the couple. I don't okay. oh, I love don't that. protect yeah. the guy from or the woman or whoever it is from the reality of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I trust them enough in a sense to deal honestly with who they are. It's also a way of role modeling for the person who tends to coddle the narcissist that you can hold your own and talk straight to that person. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. trying to be aggressive towards that person. Sure. I'm trying to help them see what they're doing and why you know, their marriage is on the brink of ending mm-hmm. and also give them some compassion. Cause I know they didn't come by this on their own. Yeah. 
That's why I would say that they they don't, sometimes they don't, yeah, they don't even know what they don't know. And I feel like that's the thing that, right. And so I I, I love that. To keep them from in the dark, you know, Yeah. you want want to care about them enough to talk straight to them. And sometimes I've said that to people, you know, you're putting me in a dilemma, you know, I can either respect you or Mm -hmm. I can tell you what you want to hear. What do you want? Which do you want? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And and people are like, the respect, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's great. So, uh, Jennifer, thank you. So I don't want to take too much of your time. I mean, I really feel like that was everything that I hoped it would be. The narcissism piece in particular, thank you so much for addressing that. And then in that avoidant and attachment, I hope that we kind of landed the plane there because I do feel like with the attach or the the anxious attachment that, uh, yeah, I'm not just saying everybody has to go get a dog so they can pet it or do the self-care, but I really feel like I appreciate you addressing that. I, sometimes I feel, if I'm going to be super open and vulnerable with you, sometimes I feel um, in an, in the office when that avoidant attachment person kind of even has that recognition that, wow, you know, okay, I'm not showing up as I maybe could, or that I don't have that relationship. Sometimes I feel like, um, you know, I don't know if you're a big fan of acceptance and commitment therapy, but I, I love act that says, okay, each one of us is the product of we're the only version of ourselves, you know, all of our nature and nurture and birth order and DNA and abandonment, rejection, all that. So we, we think and feel the way we do. So then when someone says you need to do this, that it's like, it doesn't always land. You know, they feel that reactance there too, right? And so, so I, I feel like- I shouldn't say, I never say, but when I'm being a therapist, I don't ever say, you know, you need to do it. As soon as Perfect. I get into a, the operational position of trying to get somebody to, I'm first of all, doing exactly what the pursuer is doing in the wrong way. Yes. That's yes. terrible role modeling as a, <laughs> as a therapist or a coach. So, you know, that's why I'm like, I will say like, you know, of course you don't have to stay in this marriage. No, you don't have to have sex. hundred yeah. percent. No, you don't have to stop looking at porn. Like clearly, yeah. you know, yeah. like you, no, you have choices to make, but maybe just be honest about your choices so that you're mm-hmm. getting it out of the, you have to do a B or C to be a good person. More like you have the ability to make your choices. Here's the consequences I see given those choices. You know, yeah. and this and so I'm sort of handing it to them so they can make a real decision for themselves. But yeah. you know, as soon as I think that if somebody's not willing to move, I start talking about that. I think you're making your choice. I'll say to the pursuing person, I think your partner is telling you what he or she is gonna do and not do. I think they're showing you probably time you want to deal with that. Meaning okay. Who are you going to be in the face of what they're choosing or not choosing? Uh, because it's easy to kind of imagine you're waiting around being patient for somebody when, in fact, they're not going to do anything. But even naming that either dislodges it or it allows the other person to figure out what they're going to do, given the, the choices they don't have control over. And I love that. And I, and I appreciate you talking about that, too, because I feel like the same is... Um, that I feel like when we have this maybe aha moment in a session, even the anxious partner says, okay, now can you tell her, you know, tell her what she needs to do. And I love how you just said that. It's like, no, that they, again, that defeats the whole purpose. Um, right. Yeah. Right. So uh, I hope everybody right. hearing this, uh, never, never a good idea to say you need to, I mean, that is uh, never yeah. quite goes. Yeah. Yeah. Never quite goes well. It's just, exactly. It's participating in the pursuer dynamic and you're pushing them into exactly the position that they like the most and is worst for them. Yeah, perfect. Hey, um, we actually just bought one of your courses, so I'm excited uh-huh. about that. Yeah, Great. it was when there was like a uh, art art of desire. Art it's desire? like the awesome. yeah, it's, it was a flash sale on yeah. a holiday, Great. and I was like, I'm in. So uh, cool. I can't wait. 
I'm yeah. excited about that. Uh-huh. And then uh, any anywhere else like right now where any any well, new we're courses? Actually, or, yeah. So we've been doing the Art of Loving course, which is a men's sexuality course. And it's, ah. I've been doing it live, like two groups of uh, men live. And um, it's been super fun to teach, actually. So yeah. we're going to actually do a promotion on that, I think, on Thursday to sell that course um, for the live and the recorded course that I'll um, have in uh, starting in February. So, okay. um, so anyway, so that's the men's sexual. So it's a course for LDS men and deals with things like desire, being the high desire person, low desire pornography, you know, basically how do you love through your sexuality and how do you come to greater peace within your sexuality? Because, you know, my art of desire course has a lot to do with how women have been giving messages to sort of suppress mm-hmm. desire and to suppress a sense of self and be more in this kind of stoic. That's not really probably fair to stoicism, but, but this kind of denying position relative to their sexuality. And so that's a challenge. That course is really looking at those messages and helping women to find a way to be in a deeper and higher integrity relationship to their desires and sexuality. But the thing I've really learned is how much men have often learned to that their sexuality is shameful or dangerous, something to be at arm's length with. And that fear-based reality makes it very hard to integrate sexuality, feel at peace with it as a man. And so then men will either suppress or they'll go indulgent. So porn is sort of an easier way to have your sexuality, but not have to really confront it in yourself and or bring it into an intimate relationship. And so it's often an expression of this kind of hijacked development. But uh, anyway, so really about helping men to kind of reconsider how they've been in relationship to masculinity and sexuality and how to be in a higher integrity position within themselves. So they're more able to really love and be loved through their sexuality. So I so appreciate that. I mean, so I, I mean, when I was uh, selling my book a year or so ago, I counted, I think it was about 1300 guys at the time over 15 years I worked with. And I always say that uh, I, at the time over 1300 and shame being a component of any type of recovery. And, uh, and I feel like that is that is still so hard to to sell people on a strength based hold the shame you know yes. uh, become the person you want to be way yeah that's why so many people go more to just kind of get rid of the sexuality or get even farther from it rather than know how am I in relationship to myself and my sexuality in a way that creates real goodness and joy in my life. And I even think of it as like to really be in an integrity based relationship to sexuality and a partner is in and of itself like a spiritual enterprise. And I don't mean in the way that a lot of people think about it. I don't mean all cleaned up. I mean, kind of earthy and real, but but very much like a kind of marital ritual that's about a real kind of union and communion that I think you know, I think God wants us to have that. So the more yeah. that we can learn what we need to learn to create that, the better off men and women are and families are. And so anyway, well, okay. so that's what no, I, I That's so good. Okay. I, I promise now I'll be, yeah. I'll make it. Yeah. Uh, I'll, but even when you say that, what I love about that is I love to say, um, in the, we, we developed these four pillars of this connected conversation. And the first one is really just to assume good intentions that, that someone doesn't wake up in the morning and think, how can I hurt my spouse? And so even if it's, that they're with they're withdrawn or if they're angry or if they if they aren't feeling like uh, being intimate that being able to just say okay I know that's not what their goal is is to hurt me but if that's how they're showing up then I I do I want to know and I I want to know why they feel that way and um, right. I don't know right? right and I just feel like that yeah seeking to understand like what is totally. going on and a lot of times we're afraid to understand our partner 
in part because we don't want to know them as much as we think. It'll stretch us mm-hmm. and challenge us. But also we see ourselves better if we know them better. And we often don't want to know ourselves. So we're terrible at seeking to understand. We want to be understood. Yeah. We want our yeah. view of reality to dominate, but to understand much harder. The other yeah. thing I should hey, say uh, yeah. is, is Please just, do. I was going to say that also we were doing a Christmas sale that okay. um, 20% off all my courses. So that's the other thing. Probably by the time this posts, it will be, it'll be up and running. So. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in our show notes below to learn more about where you can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website, her online courses, information about her upcoming events, information about her free Facebook group, and more. Thank you for being here.